0: Welcome back to another episode of the Student Perspective Series. Today, we are joined by several of our ABA and OBM students who intern at ABA Tech to talk about our individual journeys of entering the field of behavior analysis. So for today, I really wanted to talk about this topic of how did we all get here? And I just love hearing all the stories that people have about not necessarily how they found behavior analysis, because... Although I think that's true sometimes for a lot of us, it's like behavior analysis finds us and, you know, not many people really go into it knowing exactly what it is. And it's, they kind of stumble upon it and they're like, wow, this is great. So I really just wanted to talk about that and kind of open up the floor and be like, how, how did everyone find this field of behavior analysis?
1: I actually got my undergrad in psychology and there's not much you can do with uh, a bachelor's in psychology and I didn't want to do HR and I wanted to work practically. And I happened to have a teacher who was a behaviorist and kind of inspired me to get into behavior analysis and find jobs in that field. So I ended up uh, working in uh, a company that did in-home and I did that for a while and we transferred to a clinic and i did that for a while and it was a lot of fun to learn about the way the world works and to start to to build my repertoire not just for working with children but for uh uh like using behavior analysis for for everything for myself and i started to learn this could be used more practically like with the parents to get a lot more changes from the clients and to, with the RBTs, to make the workplace a little bit better for them. And as I started to learn a little bit more about that, uh, a little bit out of necessity and a little bit out of wanting to see some changes happen in the field, uh, I learned about like OBM and applications in, in that area and more general applications of ABA. It wasn't just working with children diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, and I applied for graduate school because that inspired me to pursue the field uh, into higher education.
2: I actually really like that, Victoria. I can, kind of, I can kind of relate. I ended up getting into the field 100% on accident. Um, I did not expect to be doing this at all. I actually started out my degree program in undergrad studying petroleum geology. So I need to say I was a little bit lost. And I ended up moving to Alaska where they didn't have my program. So I was just kind of at this point where I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know what I'm going to do here. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try psychology. It's always been an interest for me. And we at my undergrad program had a concentration in behavior analysis. So I'd known about the classes and I knew that they were electives. And as I got more into the psychology side of it, I always found myself really frustrated especially looking at the research that everything was I guess kind of problem-based right so everything we see is like okay that's an issue and they would stop there and I was just getting really frustrated at the time I had just started my undergraduate thesis um, looking at relationships between patients and providers specifically in young adults So I started getting into that side and I ended up taking the introduction to behavior analysis elective and I had an amazing professor who just made it so exciting. And by that point I'd already worked on the clinical side a little bit and I came to her and I said, you know, I love this science, I love this field, I love how it is solution focused right? We're not just coming out and saying, okay, that's an issue. And then leaving, we're saying, okay, how can we fix this? And we can give real solutions to real people. And I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to make meaningful differences specifically for me in healthcare, because I'd started my thesis and heard all of these stories from, unfortunately, a lot of women that I really connected with. And I was like, this is a system-wide issue and we're not doing anything about it. So I came to her and I was asking, and she was like, well, you ever heard of OBM? And I was like, no, but tell me more. Like, let's go, this is awesome. And so I ended up getting together with some colleagues of mine at the time because they had stopped offering the course because not enough students were taking it. So we ended up doing a little bit of a petition to make the university offer the course and she taught it. And ever since then, I was like, you know what, this is what I wanted to do. So I decided to apply
3: here and yeah, that's kind of how I got here. So my story is very different. Um, I come from a big family and have multiple siblings with various disabilities. And so I always wanted to go into something um, working with individuals with disabilities. Um, when I went into my undergrad, I went to I went to Utah Valley University where um, I started getting involved with their autism studies program and I started working as an educational coach at their autism center, working with college students with autism. And I absolutely loved that job, favorite job, maybe I've ever had. Um, And so that was prior to that point, I had always wanted to work with children with disabilities. And that was where I started to change um, my thoughts and started wanting to work more with adults Um, After leaving that job, I started working at a high school and started working with teenagers still with disabilities and absolutely loved that. That was where I started to become familiar with ABA. Um, And while working there is where I kind of decided, you know, I think that there's a lot to the science of behavior analysis. And I think that we can do a lot of fixing problems and changing the world and being superheroes and all of these amazing things while working there. Um, so when I stopped working, there was my first job actually in ABA. Um, and I was placed with a client, a teenage client and some EI clients and EI early intervention is just not for me. Um, great for some people, absolutely necessary, but it's not for me. I really, really struggled there, um, but I absolutely loved my teenage clients, and I loved being able to help them with their practical, real-life problems and with, you know, bullying, and I'm frustrated, and I don't know how to express that, but in this safe space, I can tell you about it, um, and their family relationships, and I absolutely loved being able to help with all of these things. Um, so by the time I came to Florida Tech, I was very, very much still. I love ABA. I, but I think that there are some problems, and I think that there needs to be more of a blend of kind of this more OBM approach of changing the environment and recognizing these um, external variables and all of these types of contingencies that you know, maybe sometimes are ignored in more clinical ABA, um, but through, you know, taking the OBM courses here at Florida Tech and um, truly doing a lot of work on my own mental health, um, I did come to the conclusion, like, there's a lot to be done, and um, we, we don't have to only solve problems within disabilities, um, and so that's kind of how I came Into and then also out of ABA.
0: I love that you mentioned how you tried doing the clinical side of things, and you worked with younger a younger population. You worked with an older population, and you know you came to realize that it just wasn't for you. Behavior analysis was, but you know, working with that population of people wasn't necessarily your niche, which is totally fine. And I think that that's very it resonates. I think, with a lot of people, um, because I think many people, including myself, I started off with a clinical background. So I also got my bachelor degree in psychology and I took a practicum class with an awesome professor. And, you know, he got me started with my first clinical ABA job. And I did the whole, you know, working with little ones, working with older ones, kind of got a really good experience with a range of different behaviors different problems different things you were trying to target and it was great and you know i eventually got to a supervisor role and then i kind of like my eyes opened up to a little bit more of the things within like a system of like how do you manage your staff how do you manage your team because it's not just that direct one on one um and i was like wow this is this is pretty awesome like i think this having a behavioral approach to also how to manage your team. I was like, I think this, this is really what I wanted to focus on. And I had a colleague who was also uh, in an ABA program at the time. And he was just like, yeah, you know, I took a class on OBM and I never heard of that term before. I didn't know what it was. And so I did a little bit of digging and I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty great. And I think that many organizations can benefit from this. And so that's kind of how I stumbled upon. OBM. And I kind of made my transition from doing more clinical work to more organizational work. It could be in a clinical setting because I still do that. But, you know, a lot of times it's not my work isn't clinical in nature. But, you know, you still get to see how your work affects others and how it benefits others. Um, Because similar to how when, you know, I'd be helping uh, a younger child with, with autism, like learning to, you know, man for opportunities, doing the same thing on an organizational level. It's like, Hey, you know, to your staff, it's like, if you just ask for certain things that you need um, we can easily get that to you. And we just didn't know that that was what you needed. Um, so you really see the parallels in between that. So I, I love what everyone mentioned about that.
1: I loved hearing everyone's stories and histories of, uh, in behavior analysis, because everyone discovers their love for behavior analysis in different ways, and it really drives your passion for it. And we've all had a lot of perspective changes over the year, like over the years, the discovery of behavior analysis and the ways it can be applied. how, I guess more recently has your perspective changed on behavior analysis in terms of theory and practice since entering, a graduate program?
2: I feel like for me personally, I kind of came into the program with, I guess, the kind of rose-colored glasses view of the practical side of it, and I think that's because our science, especially when we look at the literature, it feels so perfect and so exact with these things that seem very easy to fix, and everything just felt really simple. And when we started getting into our courses and talking with our professors and now having these real world practicum experiences, most especially on the OBM side where we have very little control over what we're doing a lot of the times, right? It's not up to us. I've kind of realized that our science is perfect, but the practical side of it isn't always. And I feel like for me, that's kind of changed my perspective on it and kind of made me step back and say, okay, you can't, you can't have control over every single aspect of everything you do all the time on this side of it. Cause it's not up to you. It's not your choice. It was kind of a wake up call, but for me, it was In a good way, I've kind of felt that I've learned to be a lot more patient with organizations and a little bit more understanding. So I thought that was a pretty, pretty big one for me after coming into the program.
3: I think I also came in with kind of like those rose colored glasses, right? Um, But I think some of the moments that I have valued the most have been collaborating with professors and discussing problems and talking about, you know, learning histories and how we can't control, especially when we are working with adults who have very long learning histories. And, and we, they have all of these variables and contingencies that we can't control, you know, be it kids or their you know, their boss or whatever it is, right? We can't control all of these things. And and maybe the literature makes it sound like we have a very easy answer um, to anything. But it's really cool to to come in and be able to have those conversations about that's not how it actually is. Um, but we still can try. And, and if it doesn't work, we can try something else. Um, I think those have been some of my favorite moments um, that I never had prior to coming.
2: I actually want to really say, I super agree with you, Maddie. I know Maddie and I have worked on a couple of projects together and it's really felt that way where it's just like, we thought we came up with this perfect, wonderful solution. It was going to be awesome. And it was empirically based. And then we're like, oh, wait a second. That's not going to actually work for the organization. We have to go right back to the drawing board and eventually you get there, but it really is just this try and try again. So I really love that.
0: Yeah. And there's always a lot of like, you know, in theory, this should work, right? This is like the perfect solution. And you just have so many other variables that don't get accounted for initially when you come up with this solution, which ideally we should be thinking about them from the beginning. But, you know, if you really want the best solution, we're like, here's here's the best option that we can um, offer. And then it's like, okay, this doesn't work because of cost of time or, you know, resources, whatever it may be. And it's like, okay, let's, let's start, let's start over again, or let's kind of take it apart to see what we can still use. But yeah, I think that's kind of like the bummer with that is, you know, when we do things in theory, there's so much control, right? We, we like to be in control and, and you're, you're demonstrating that there is, you know, a functional relationship between certain variables and and certain variables that you want to try to control for. And that's just not always possible in a real life application. And so I think that that's where we do need to bridge the application with, you know, the academia side of things when it comes to like translational research, it's like, great. We have all these things like, you know, in, in theory, and then we have all these things in applied, but how do they really reach in the middle? You know, that's, I do want to see a lot more of that. And I, I think that that's something that as a field, we can definitely work more towards.
1: Yeah. And in coming from a practical background, like, like all of y'all have, but, uh, also doing things in a very, um, natural setting, I guess we, like I did in home and things like that. I now have, and I'm sure y'all have felt this too, uh, learning the research and the basic concepts and principles behind everything, especially those being learned in such a, or studied in such a controlled setting now has expanded a lot of research questions that I have and why certain practices may work better than others in certain settings or how you can make something more ecologically valid. And the, I don't know, all the, all the more research we, we could do to expand our knowledge on this we've talked about how we enter the field of behavior analysis and how our perspectives have changed since uh pursuing behavior analysis a little bit further into a graduate program what area of behavior analysis do you plan on practicing in next
0: well victoria i'm actually gonna pop that over to you first um so you and i being second year graduate students we're kind of entering the next steps of, you know, looking for jobs in the field. So I'm going to actually point that to you to answer first.
1: Yeah. Um, I really struggle to answer this one. I've been asked this a lot lately and I, I'm not, I think I'm not too picky in in terms of what area I plan to practice in. I I do want to work on, I, I, I want to fulfill my values of I want to improve the workplace for workers. And, you know, having been, I don't know, I saw that a lot as an RBT, as a, as a need. And whether it's OBM applied in clinical settings or in business settings or further disseminating behavior analysis so that other people can practice these things, I think I would feel fulfilled in that value. And However I get about doing that, I think I'm not too picky. (laughs) I don't know.
0: (laughs) I mean, I feel you with the question of like, everyone asks us this, especially as you're like approaching the end of your graduate experience. And if you don't have something lined up right away, it's kind of like, ah, you know, I'll, I'll take what I can get. Um, But I 100% agree with you is that if I can find a job, whether, you know, depending on the setting is kind of like, not necessarily hmm, this, the setting isn't the most important part to me, as long as I can get to do what it is that I want to do. And for me, that's being able to improve an organization, improve an organization, have improve like employee engagement, uh, improve um, how employees feel valued, because I I really do just want to create a better workplace culture for a lot of organizations. And I think that sometimes that kind of gets put on the back burner because a lot of companies are just thinking like, we just want to increase productivity and we just want to, you know, increase all of these other things, um, and I'm like, well, you know, how how are you valuing how are you valuing your employees? Because I think that if you kind of put more effort into that, and you really prioritize that as a thing, you will probably see a lot more changes in other metrics such as productivity. And so, I mean, personally, I do want to do internal consulting uh, within an organization. It might be clinical, it might be in a nonprofit, it might be just regular business related. Um, But wherever I get to, like what you said, Victoria, fulfill my values, I think that that's where it kind of lies for me.
3: I think um, if I can kind of follow the values train, um, I really love that kind of framework that you put, Victoria, because um, I am a first year, I do still have at least a little bit of time and I still have a lot of questions and no idea what I wanna do, um, but my value that I want to um, kind of follow is that it's it's important to me that I am helping people fill their gaps and learn how to meet their needs. Um, so for me, especially considering that I did work as an educational coach and I loved that so much, I think that as of right now, that leads me down an instructional design path, Um, but I am very open to whatever ends up happening.
2: I love that. I feel like everyone's kind of, touched on the same thing, right? Where we all have these really big values. And I, and I know it probably drives everyone up a wall because I say it all the time. Um, but for me personally, my heart truly lies in healthcare. And I think that's been, you know, with my experiences and I have family that works in healthcare and I will never forget a conversation I had with a professor where I had gone on probably a half an hour rant about, you know my frustrations with it and how we're not fixing it. Um, bless her. She put up with me a lot and she kind of looked at me and she was like, you know, you have these really lofty goals, um, but you will never live to see them completed because you are laying the foundation for what's to come. And I will never forget that. And I feel like that's really changed my perspective. And that's why I can kind of agree with what you're all saying is at least for me personally, I want to be in a position where I can at least start that and start and get that ball rolling, whether that be in instructional design or in systems analysis. I am not really picky either. I just want to make a difference and at least get us moving in a direction where maybe there's one day we don't have to worry about these things anymore. So I'm kind of agreeing with y'all.
0: I think another thing that I forgot to mention earlier is also just dissemination of behavior analysis. And what's super awesome is that when you let's say you work in a setting that isn't necessarily familiar with behavior analysis and you take a behavioral approach to how you work, you get to disseminate in a way. It's like, Hey, this is, this is what I studied. This was my background. And you can show the people it's like this, it works. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, in the typical, like I work, with the population of people with disabilities, um, because there's so many more applications. And I think that if you're able to show that in other workplaces, I think it helps to, I, I think it helps in our mission to disseminate, um, the field of behavior analysis and disseminating the important information and factual information because I know that there's a lot of misconceptions and whatnot. And so I think it's a really good way to do that. Um something that I know that people didn't mention and I'm kind of curious is, you know, if you're not necessarily going the route of clinical behavior analysis and, you know, working in populations uh, with with autism or other disabilities, are you planning on getting your BCBA.
3: Megan, are you planning on getting your BCBA? (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: That is a good question. You know, as of as of right now, I think that that is the plan. Um, I do think that in my line of work that I want to enter, I don't know if that certification in and of itself is going to be the most valued, especially if you work in a business setting and they're unfamiliar with it. I personally, however, think that there is some merit to it um, in the fact that you you do hold yourself to the ethics standards of the BACB. um, And if you're planning to do organizational behavior management, that, that it does fall under the realm of different areas that a behavior analyst can practice. So for me, that that is something that I do want to get. I know that that's not necessarily for everyone, especially if they're not doing clinical practice. Um, but I, I do plan on getting it.
3: So I, I guess the short answer is I don't know. I again, I'm a first year. I have a little bit of time to figure that out. Um, I, I think it's a very convoluted uh, question. That's not the right word. It's very complicated the The question of if you're not going clinical, should you get it? Um, hopefully, by the time this podcast is published, I will also have a blog post out about this, uh, kind of exploring this issue. I've done a lot of research into it. And um, Nick Weatherly, Dr. Nick Weatherly, sorry, Dr. Nick Weatherly published an article in 2021 that mentioned that For OBMers, it may or may not be necessary. There are two states, uh, Missouri and Kentucky, that do require licensure for OBMers, which ends up meaning that they need their BCBA. As someone with very strong rule-governed behavior, maybe that means that I will get it. Even though I have no plans of moving to Missouri or Kentucky, I just like to follow the rules and somebody says that's a rule somewhere in the world, I'll probably do it. Um, but I mean, it's a complicated problem and I don't know.
1: That's an okay answer though,
0: to be comfortable to say that you don't know until you have a sufficient answer.
1: Yeah. Well said both of y'all. I, I personally plan on getting my BCBA. I got the hours. (laughs) I did the work. (laughs) And I want to keep my options open. I'm going to agree with you, Victoria.
2: It's kind of like a, at this point, <laughs> why not? We're at, in our program, we do have to accrue all of the hours and we spend a lot of time studying and learning. So we're just one test away. Um, so as of right now, I do also have plans, but I'm also kind of in the boat with Maddie where it's like tentative plans as to whether or not I'll actually go and get my certification. And I think... Um, that's a next year me problem.
0: I want to mention this. I don't know if it's a disclaimer, but, you know, all of our professors have kind of always said this, especially regarding the test that, you know, the BCBA exam is kind of the bare minimum. Um, to show that you are competent as a behavior analyst. And so by no means does it actually mean that you are off and ready to go and just be on your own. I do think that continuing to seek supervision um, and to get support from your colleagues is something that is vital, especially to this field, regardless of you know whatever area of behavior analysis that you do practice in. Um, so I just wanted to to make that known for, for any of our listeners that even if you do plan on taking the BCBA exam, you know, that is just a starting point. Um, It's not the end.
1: And I like that general perspective as well, too. Just continuing to learn whenever and wherever you can. First of all, it's fun. You know, it's, it's kind of boring if you, if you're feeling like you're not learning anything or, you know, or if it, if it feels too comfortable, um, I don't. know. I, I personally always like to continue to expand what I am, improve um, on, what I think I can do, I guess, and continuing to seek supervision and continuing to seek out new experiences and learn new skills and evaluate your own skills on and how those can be improved on.
3: So Megan, yesterday we were talking and you mentioned you wanted to go and get some courses after you graduate in Lean Six Sigma. And I also think it's an interesting and important point to recognize that continuing education is amazing. um, But just because something is ACE certified by the BACB doesn't mean that it's the only valuable place to get um, that continuing education. And especially for someone wanting to go into OBM, there's a lot of other things that may be valuable that wouldn't count for BACB continuing education.
0: Yeah, so there are a few different certifications that organizations value. And as I've been on my my job hunt, I found several different certifications that have been commonly mentioned. So Lean, Six Sigma, uh, PMP, Uh, scrum, even agile, like all of these things are um, very popular, especially for people who might've graduated as like an MBA. Um, And yeah, you know, I look at the job description. I'm like, man, like this is all thing. These are all things that I have had experience in. And, you know, we at ABA tech have a product called OBM specialists. And I think all of us have actually gone through that. And what people don't, might not know is that OBM specialist is actually based in lean practices. So that methodology. And so, you know, we do have the certification and it's just, it might not be as well known right now compared to maybe lean or six Sigma, but it takes a very similar approach. And so for me, yes, I, I am going to get my, my BCBA, I do have the OBM specialist certificate, but I am going to plan to take some additional courses in lean and six Sigma just to one further my education, but two, you know, for potential employers who value things other than, you know, the more commonly behavioral certificates. um, I do want to make it known. It's like, Hey, I am competent in this. And so that also means looking into what they value and not just what I'm, familiar with and what I value.
2: That was a good question. That was, and Megan, just super quickly, I really love that you bring up that perspective because I feel like as more students coming into the field continue teaching that perspective, I feel like it's really going to change how other fields view us. Anything from MBA to the clients we're interacting with, that's going to make a very, very big difference to kind of come from the perspective of, I don't know everything and what I value might not necessarily be what you value. So let's meet in the middle and let me be the one to compromise and help you achieve your values and do what I can to align with those. So I really love that.
1: Thank you everyone for joining in this conversation. Please join us for our next episode as we discuss the process of choosing the ABA and OBM grad track program at Florida Tech.